Healing the Meaning of Life podcast part one, vision. What I'm telling you is not for listening, it is for being. A quote from Henry Louis Bergson, the eyes sees only what the mind is prepared to comprehend. Visual illusions provide evidence that you see with your brain, that your eyes or retinas, which is the back of the eye, modulate the construction of reality by your brain. Your brain is fooled. What is happening? Many events takes place in your occipital lobe when you're experiencing a visual illusion. What we see is conditional and contextual. The brain generates what we see. It builds an image based on distinct cues. When you see a face, your brain constructs the image of this very unique face by linking an array of individual patches made of tiny lines, each with their respective contrast position and orientation. In the process of looking at a face, your eyes jump from one patch to the next, producing what is known as micro saccades. In this manner, your eyes automatically peruse the contour of the face and of its key features such as the eyes, the nose, the mouth, and facial hair. Jumps can be as short in duration as 20 to 30 milliseconds and as small as 15 minutes of arc. That is 15 definition, 15 divisions, pardon me, out of 60, um, a single angular degree. So you take one degree and you divide it by 60, and you got 15 in there. So it's not even one degree. A distance corresponding to the length of a hyphen when reading a text at arm's length. For familiar faces, the whole process can be as fast as 180 milliseconds. Not only do you generate such micro jumps when looking at faces, saccades are parts of how your brain constructs your experience of the visual world around you. Look around you. You're producing numerous saccades. If you are at a cocktail party and like me, you do not know what to say, ask someone to do this exercise with you. Join your hands together over your head, forming a circle with your arms. Ask this someone to peruse the contour of the circle. You will be observing saccades. Feel free to take turns. The ice has been melted. Enjoy your cocktail. You can share with your interlocutor that each saccade lasts about 0.1 second or 100 millisecond, during which there is no conscious vision. You are blind every time you generate a saccade. This phenomenon is known as saccadic masking or suppression, a window of opportunity to steal a drink. Well, you would have to be quick and synchronize your theft exactly with the 0.1 second the eye jumps. An opportunity for a dexterous magician, perhaps. If you tally the total time spent doing saccades every waking day, about 150,000 of them, then you get over four hours each day during which our visual perception does not accurately reflect what is right in front of our eyes. You can challenge your cocktail partner by decreeing 
that we're blind on an average of four hours every day, he or she might become more nervous, a good sign, and start blinking more often. And so might you, if you care. More times added and to being blind, the average person blinks about 17 to 22,000 times a day, each blinking lasting 0.1 second with a total time spent Oh, blind, estimated from 28 to 37 minutes. The total, therefore, approximate about 4.5 hours of being blind every waking day. More ice breaking, more drinks ahead, as your interlocutor started to divide into two interlocutors. Excessive alcohol intake um, is infamous for seeing double. It's called diplopia. Another proof that the images you see are a construct of your brain. How far are you ready to push experimenting? The linkage or binding of separate edges or contrasts is elemental to how the brain generates images. Furthering our understanding of how we fall for specific illusions means learning more about how we actually see. Beware of context. Take the example known as the cafe wall illusion, drawing its root from an 1898 study by A.H. Pierce and his observations of analogous patterns in kindergarten weaving placemats. Pause the podcast and look up Cafe Wall Illusion with your favorite browser. Again, the mechanism involved distinct edges, patches, borders of specific location, orientation, size, and contrast each modulating cellular activity in the cortex. So did you do it? Did you look at it? Cafe wall illusion. I sense that you might be able to see the building blocks that your brain uses to generate the images you experience as reality. Do you realize what I mean? It looks like hard work, but glance again. Picture this. You are bright, luminous, and perceptive. Trust my vision of things to foresee. I'm looking forward to further illustrate how marvelous your senses are. Envisage all the possibilities. Together we will see it. Visual illusions are real. What does it mean to see? I see with my eyes, but I absolutely require my brain to perceive or detect what my eyes see. I believe what I see, but most importantly, I see what I believe in this order. Yes, I see what I believe, what my brain tells me. What determines what I see is very much my brain. The eyes modulate brain activity, but do not generate the image I see. Ultimately, I see what my brain, my brain generates the reality I experience, and this is true for all the five senses. What do we know about the actual events that take place when we use our eyes to see the world around us, including a visual illusion? If the illusion is an image on a paper, then photons, actually many, many of them, around a billion, will bounce on the paper and converge on the outer part of your fovea, that is the center of your retina. If the source is a light-emitting monitor, photons will directly bombard your fovea so long as you are looking at the illusion. So that goes for your cell phone, for your computer. Looking 
added means to unconsciously enable the photons to converge in your retina precisely on the other segments of your cone photoreceptors. We'll get back to that. Where they are most concentrated, that is the fovea in the center of your retina. And we do that unconsciously. We foveate when we look at something so that we can see fine details. But how does this occur? Three unconscious events, in other words, reflexes, must take place for the first step to be successful, to foveate. Your pupils will constrict. So there's less divergence of the photons when they enter that pinhole. Your eyes, secondly, will converge toward your nose. The closer the image, the more crossed eyes you will be. Ask a friend to look at the tip of your finger as you bring it closer to her or his face. The lens inside your eyes will become more curved, rounder. And as you get older, this bending becomes limited. This is why you tend to pull the paper away or smartphone from, your, from you to read and see it. In addition, as is the case with facial recognition, you will be doing micro saccades when looking at the illusions. Photons are a form of energy. They are both particles and waves, but not at the same time, at least not when studied with our current scientific tools. When studied as particles, photons exhibit many quantifiable properties such as energy, but size does not apply to them. When studied as a wave, photons have a wavelength. In human photoreceptors, retinal, a photosensitive vitamin, vitamin A derivative, is covalently bound, that means a very strong chemical bound, with a protein called opsin, from the opsis for sight. The Greek word opsis means sight. Visible light in human varies from 460 to 70 nanometers in wavelength. The smaller the wavelength, the more energy it carries. Let us focus on one population of photons over out of over a billion in daylight. So just one photon, actually. And this photon is caught by the outer segments of the cone photoreceptors. So this is in your retina. And if you're fixating, this is in your fovea. Let us suppose it is a green cone. There are three types of cones in the human retina, red, green, and blue. Only green and red cones are found in the fovea, the area of retina responsible for maximal visual acuity, or if you prefer, the finest details. The photon is absorbed by a molecule called a chromophore. Chromo means light, and four means carrier, so the carrier of light. The chromophore is called 11 cis retinal or in short, retinol. If we further magnify the cone outer segments, we can see a protein called green opsin that spans the whole membrane, binding the infamous chromophore in its core with the strongest chemical bounds covalent, as we mentioned before. Now, not even one thousandth of a second, so one millisecond, has passed and the photon will now cease to exist in its current form. Light energy is absorbed by a double bound 
between two carbon atoms unlocking retinol, allowing to flip known as isomerization. So this is a change in the shape of that small molecule called retinol from its crooked cis isomer to its straight trans isomer. The chromophore is now locked into the trans isomer shape and is now straight and will stay as such. Changing it back to cis form will require a complex series of processes known as the retinoid cycle, but this is not for this podcast. Um, there's lots going on in order to regenerate the chromophore to its cis isomer. Exchanging one form of energy to another form is called transduction. All events in sensing involve converting one form of energy, stimulus or input, to another, reaction, output. Transduction is the ultimate foundation of all forms of sensing, internal and external to organism. Transduction is an elemental aspect of all life forms. All cells, whether they are standalone species, unicellular, or part of an organism, multicellular, are characterized by their ability to detect the signal and to transform the signal into a cellular event. The nature of the signal and of the answering cellular events varies between cells. Sensing light is achieved through phototransduction, phototransduction, transducing light. If you think about it, Photo stands for photon, which is light, and isomerization implies converting the cis isomer of the chromophore retinol, giving a crooked shape, to another form, trans, giving a straight shape. So when light is absorbed, the shape becomes straight in retinol. At this very time, light has no more role to play in seeing what will now follow is a series of events that are absolutely independent of light. We're feeling that what we shall see will be a product of all these light independent events. Many of them seeing is so much more than catching light photons. Indeed, at this point, once the chromophore retinal is straightened up using the energy of the captured photon, light has nothing to do with vision. You have not seen anything yet, literally. Prepare yourself for a wild ride, all as a matter of perception. As is the case with all aspects of conscious vision, the only visual effect itself is the shape change in a small molecule called retinol. There are so many steps involved, so many opportunities for variations, as in errors, all of which contribute to the image perceived. One millisecond. That is a second divided by 1,000 has passed. The next event will accumulate after the next six milliseconds in the stoppage of a current known as the dark current. The voltage or electrical potential positive charge content will be reduced inside the photoreceptor. In a nutshell, the more there are molecules of retinol changing their shape, becoming straight, the lesser positive charge will be inside the photoreceptors. These will become more negatively charged. Let's get started. To begin with, picture that the chromophore, that's retinol, is tightly bound, so covalent bound, high energy chemical links. 
with a large protein called rhodopsin. The implication is that the light-induced shape change of the chromophore transmodifies the shape of rhodopsin. Step one, which is now activated. So rhodopsin has changed its shape because the small molecule inside it, retinal, is now, instead of crooked, is now straight. So it moves the rhodopsin and it's changing its shape, rejigs it. Rhodopsin is a member of a class of membrane-bound receptors called G-protein coupled receptors. When activated, so by the isomerization of retinal from uh, cis trans, a G-protein called transducin is able to bind to the activated rhodopsin, which is the G-protein um, receptor. So like a key fitting in a lock, now bound to activated rhodopsin, transducin loses two of its proteins, beta and gamma, keeping just the alpha. So transducin alpha is able to receive energy from the reaction of GDP becoming GTP. These carry energy. Transducin alpha is now activated and can bind to another key protein complex called PDE or phosphodiesterase. The binding of the activated transducin alpha to PDE causes it to lose two alpha proteins turning this complex into an enzyme. So now we have an enzyme that can facilitate, as enzymes do, a chemical reaction. And this will be to convert cyclic GMP into GMP. That's step four. Less cyclic, less GMP is available to bind to CMG. Okay. Um, that allows positive ions, sodium and calcium, to enter the photoreceptor. Some of these channels close, blocking the dark current. So this is how it happens. So these channels, cyclic GMP-gated channel, nucleotide, are responsible for the circulation of that current, that so-called dark current. And when these channels close, the dark current shuts down, at least partially. The flow of positive ions inside photoreceptors is called the dark current because it flows when uninterrupted by phototransduction. Closure of the channels, the CNG, stops the dark current, at least in part, as I said, because there are many more CNG channels in photoreceptors. With the assistance of an ion exchanger called NCKX, sodium calcium potassium exchanger the amount of net positive charges inside the photoreceptors declines therefore the more photons are caught by the photoreceptors the greater the effect on stopping the dark current will be we can talk about the notion of threshold here to elicit a visual response in the brain a critical level of dark current stoppage is required this minimum will depend on the quantity and duration of previous light exposure, on the type of photoreceptors, and on the type of responses elicited, such as causing visual reflexes or producing a conscious percept by the brain. 
such as seeing that could entail detecting light level changes or object movement or actual images, including illusions. Seeing the illusions will depend on stopping a critical amount of dark current, that is the threshold. This is non-negotiable. You must stop dark current. In order to stop one, well, you must have one. So the photoreceptors that will entice your visual experience must already generate a dark current. In daylight, rod photoreceptors do not. Saturated by photons, rods are inactivated. They are unresponsive to visual stimuli because they don't have a dark current, so there's nothing to stop. Removing the flooding of rods by the daylight rain of photons, the photopic adaptation, that means daylight, will allow rods to start generating the dark current. A dark current can be measured in rods at, at dusk or down or in a fancy nightclub. That's called mesopic adaptation. So it's between light and, and, and night. And will reach maximal flow after 20 minutes of adaptation and total darkness. So that's called scotopic adaptation. That's in total darkness. That's when your rods are eliciting the biggest dark current possible. Cones have the unique property of being able to still generate a dark current despite torrential photons raining. That is, even on a sunny day at the beach, despite the fact that thinking about it, the term dark current is a misnomer. Can you spot the contradiction here? The events I described consider rhodopsin, which is the type of photopigment expressed by rods. How can this description explain the first step in seeing illusions? Most illusions are seen in photopic condition and daylight. It is your cones, not your rods, that are involved in seeing most illusions. Well, here's an issue that takes us back to how phototransduction was studied. Scientists relied heavily on rats and mice, which are nocturnal animals, with 98% of photoreceptors being rods. Thus, we know much more about the physiology of rods than of cones. What if the most common laboratory animal had been cone-dominated, such as ground squirrels, chameleons, or fish, would we know more about daylight vision? Not quite. Surprisingly, the population of cones in the human retina does not even exceed 5% of all photoreceptors. Yes, our retinas are made up of over 95% rods, yet we have evolved to be active during daylight. We are diurnal animals relying mostly on a dense packing of our cones in our central retina. Yes, you remember, it's called the fovea. In a way, one can say that when it comes to seeing fine details, we have tunnel vision. A look back at evolution adds context to a seemingly paradoxical constitution of our retinas. Here I'm digressing. So let us get back to the next steps. About seven milliseconds have passed since we looked at the illusions. The dark current has stopped in the cones that underwent phototransduction, exceeding threshold. This will impact the electrical activity of other cells in the retina, called cone bipolar cells and horizontal cells. As the dark current stops voltage-gated calcium channels, so these are channels 
that are open when the cell is generating the dark current is in fact positive. So they're open and calcium enters. But when the dark current stops, these channels close and calcium can no longer enter and it doesn't any longer push on the positively charged vesicles that contain a neurotransmitter called glutamate. So glutamate is no longer released. Fewer vesicles release glutamate in the synaptic space, less glutamate binds to his receptors. So now, once we stop the dark current, we have less glutamate binding to his receptor. And the receptor is located in horizontal cells and in bipolar cells. It's all called post-synaptic because they are the other side of the synapse. The synapse is the space between two neurons. So yes, photo photoreceptors are neurons and so are horizontal cells and bipolar cells. The conventional wisdom is that glutamate acts as a neurotransmitter particularly of the excitatory type. In the retina, glutamate can be both, in fact, excitatory or inhibitory. What determines the action of any neurotransmitter or any molecule binding to its receptor is not the molecule itself, but the nature of the receptor itself. Both types of glutamate receptor are found in the retina. Excitatory or inhibitory are found in the retina. Cones establish contact with cells, bipolar cells, which bear the inhibitory, that's on bipolar cells, or the excitatory, that's off bipolar cell, receptor type on the other side of the synapse, the postsynaptic side. The photoreceptor's response to light always results in stopping glutamate release. There, no change there, always the same thing. Stop the dark current stop the release of glutamate, diminishing the amount that binds to its receptors. So a diminution in glutamate will remove the postsynaptic inhibition on unbipolar cells. Remember, it's inhibitory. So I no longer inhibit bipolar cells, so they are turned on, hence their name, on bipolar cell. And they become excited. While it will stop exciting the off-bipolar cells, inhibiting them. So stop the dark current, stop the release of glutamate, stop the binding on receptor. If the receptor is excitatory, you don't have an excitation anymore. And this is the case of off-bipolar cells. So it's turned off. These events are the same across all species possessing photoreceptors, yes. A key feature of all the synapses established by photoreceptors is that they contact at least three postsynaptic neurons, one bipolar cell and two horizontal cells, which led to the name triad. Cone bipolar cells establish excitatory synapses with ganglion cells and glutamate binding on excitatory postsynaptic receptors located on retinal ganglion cells. If retinal ganglion cells become positive enough, they will generate action potential. Then these are the very and only signals sent to the brain through the 1 million ganglion cell axons that together bundle up to form what we know as the optic nerve. 
It will have taken a minimum of about 30 milliseconds for the first information to be sent through the optic nerve. What type of information does the retina send to the brain? We went over the light-driven stoppage of a current in photoreceptors, which through a first synapse excited or inhibited bipolar cell activity, and then through a second synaptic level, either excited or inhibited retinal ganglion cells. This second synapse is conservative. That means that it's excitatory. So whatever happens in the bipolar cells is going to happen the same way in ganglion cells. So if an off-bipolar cell by its nature is turned off by phototransduction, the ganglion cell with which it synapse will be an off-ganglion cell. It will turn off. And, and the opposite is true for on bipolar cells turned on by phototransduction, their ganglion cells with which they synapse will be on ganglion cells, so they will be turned on by phototransduction. Each bipolar cell receives synaptic inputs from photoreceptor clusters segregated into central and peripheral regions. It's called center surround receptor field, like a donut. And the center is never the same as the as the surround. So the center, if it's on, the surround will be off, and vice versa. If the center is off, the surround will be on. The clusters are the smallest in the fovea, the region of the retina with which we fixate, or in other words, foveate. As such, synaptic convergence is at its lowest in the fovea, and accordingly so are the receptive field size. Horizontal cells mediate the inhibition between neighboring central and peripheral clusters, so that if photons are simultaneously transduced in photoreceptors,